We are I. All right, we just spent the last 15 minutes going over this laundry list of things I have to talk about. And whenever I create a laundry list, we usually do about a third of it. <laughs> if that. Yeah, if that. Um, knowing all of the wild stuff I just listed out, where do you want to start? At the beginning. At the beginning? All right. So doing some research and... and I always try to find, because, and this happens to me a lot in my life, where I find that from governing bodies, you know, whether it be like insurance or, you know, um, you know, like WCB here, like our WorkSafe BC, like there's just not a lot of love to the, um, to like natural paths, natural healing, like just seems like something that doesn't get a whole lot of um, accreditation. And so I was just doing a little bit of research and, you know, like through this, I just wanted to actually look at some quirky things I could find. Um, on the internet of like, you know, maybe this is what people think of when they think of uh, traditional Chinese medicine practitioners or like TCM in general. I mean, I asked you if you feel like these, some of these things are maybe the reason why people don't look at um, naturopaths or like TCM in a favorable light. Um, one of them, you said that my very first one is that you had in the book, and I have no idea how I either read it and forgot about it or uh, overlooked it somehow. But yes, it's a micro gut biome. All right. So boiling eggs in prepubescent boys' urine. This is something that was created, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, over 2,000 years ago. And a practice still done today where they collect urine in what we would deem to be elementary schools um, to be able to do this boiling practice. How did it start? Why did it stay? And why are we still doing it? Um, I'm not sure how it started. And um, I don't know how it stayed other than people really believe that it worked. And what's it doing for us? Well, like, it, it's, I think, probably pretty similar to what you mentioned with um, the hormonal piece with the crystallized urine that's cooked down, that there are hormones in it. Mm-hmm. So it's a supplementation for hormones, basically. And then the egg is... A little bit of protein. Like like a, yeah, like a egg. delivery system or something? A lot of the um, remedies in traditional medicines are, they have a specific delivery system, especially in Chinese medicine. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times where alcohol is used, egg might be used, vinegar might be used, honey might be used. Um, in Ayurveda, they're, they use a lot of oil as a delivery system, ghee. Um, so <clears throat> there may also be that 
microbial piece to that supplementation so that um, it, it's like taking a probiotic as well. Okay. Yeah, and actually, funny that you uh, said, I actually tried experimenting with this for a while, and then I stopped because it didn't, I didn't really notice any different, and then it just felt weird. So I actually took my multivitamins in my multivitamin, multivitamin in the morning um, with an ounce of wine, because I read how many cultures around the world for like, you know, covering basically the entire planet from what I've found have at one point in time seemed like they've used alcohol as a delivery system for kind of like what at that point in time would be more like singular, you know, vitamins and minerals or concoctions. Um, so I'm just like, well, I'll try this. I'll just see it like if it works. But like, it just felt weird, like drinking wine in the morning for one. And it didn't really seem like it had any kind of benefit. Um, so I did it for 10 days, kind of struggled through the last like probably five to seven days just because I don't know, like, like I, I don't know. I don't like drinking a lot in general. I have no problem with drinking. I just don't like drinking a lot in general. But it just felt really weird at like four o'clock in the morning drinking wine with your multivitamins and stuff. Well, it's so. an extraction process that mm. they're using. So the herbs or whatever they're taking is oftentimes cooked into the wine for several hours or it's left to sit for weeks and weeks mm-hmm. in, in the alcohol, whether it's wine or, uh, you know, rice wine or vodka or whatever they're putting it in. So that's part of it is that they're not just taking like an herb capsule and, and washing it down with wine mm-hmm. instead, which is kind of what you were doing. Yeah. Well, which like, and again, like what you're talking about when we were uh, later on in this, we'll talk about the boiling the urine down. Like that's what they did. They had these like urine crystals and capsules and they would drink them with wine. And I just, I found that like a lot of like ancient Greeks used, there was stuff they used to do with like taking like a capsulated form with like a, an alcoholic beverage or something like that. Um, I try all the crazy shit I can find on the internet. Like I'm almost the worst person to have a Google account because I try all the wild things that are out there and like nine times out of 10, it doesn't yield me any results, but you don't know unless if you try, right? That's true. Yeah. Um, second on this list, the... Um, out of 10, so just let everybody know there's 10 things on the list. So um, number two, and these are no specific order, that uh, the sexiest, most erotic um, part on a woman's body would be the lotus foot. And this is where they bound the foot so it doesn't grow any longer than four inches. And the toes are wrapped around the foot uh, towards the inside of the foot. Do you know how it started? Have you heard of this before? Do you think it's... You know, I have heard some of the history on that. I don't remember what it is. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that's foot binding. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought, like, very, uh, very... It's a great way to to keep people from being able to get away from you. (laughs) That, and, you know, and that's the one thing with, like, looking at these foot, because it's not only, like, a disfigured foot, like, it's small. It actually looks a lot more like a tube. So I was like, you know, when I looked at it, I'm like, you would never really be able to walk or run or anything with this foot. You'd have a very sedentary life after this. And to think that, um, I believe that I read that over 50% of women at one point in time that lasted a few generations of time um, had this lotus foot or would try to achieve this lotus foot. 
and then you were judged on how beautiful your lotus foot looked. So you could imagine if things went awry, how you'd become an outcast in a society like that would be uh, would be pretty tough, right? Because it's not non-reversible. Things like that make me think about like the ancestral trauma that gets handed down through mm -hmm. our DNA, mm -hmm. and how things like that can can potentially be contributing to people's dysmorphic disorders today. Yeah, like even thinking their body looks a way that it doesn't. It, it's like that whole that whole way of of thinking and mm -hmm. and just so distorted and, and does a lot of damage well and you know? this is i guess a good segue to jump down this list a little bit so like when you're talking about trauma this is the first thing i thought when i came across this penis thing and something you're alluding to is um like the clitoral mutilation of women like a practice that still happens today um but in this specific regard uh they said that men castrated themselves um, and a lot of parents would castrate their sons at birth so that there was a potential that they could work in the palace because any peasants couldn't work in the palace, any male peasants couldn't work in the palace um, who had a penis. So looking at if you have grown up without a penis because your parents cut it off, like what that would do with your parental relationship, but not only if you as an adolescent boy or you know, like, you know, men up until I think they said about 20 years old, and they weren't allowed to work in the palace anymore, that you would look at your penis and think of it as just being this hindrance to a good life. Like this one thing on my body is actually keeping me a peasant and not allowing me to be able to live a good and prosperous life. Because if I get rid of this thing, then I have the potential to go work in the palace, which is a lot more prosperous life. Is castration the penis or the testicle? Um, well, they said they, um, men castrated themselves, um, and it would, so they were removing the testicles and sometimes the penis as well. Oh, man. So, um. Of, of, of the parents that would go through and do something like that because they were so desperate to get their child out of poverty. But then, yeah, and then it's just like it comes back into like this weird kind of ethical and moral paradox and juxtaposition. It's just like, well, then why have children? You know, where it's like, I, I battle with that all the time of like, what's the appropriate way to be able to to think about that? It, I, I, did, I find it to be a really hard and perplexing subject to be able to just kind of allow my mind to wheel out of control. Um, because like to mutilate somebody to that extent, because essentially now you're cutting off your ability to carry on your bloodline or your name anyway. Yeah. So why force that person to have to live through that when you're kind of saying you're going to be the end of the line regardless. Right. So, um, and then only till they're 20, it's not even like this would be a lifelong career in the palace. This is just like a, a very short period of time. And then you have to live the entire rest of your life, um, you know, with that trauma. And then, like, what has that done to generations there such? Like what you were alluding to, right? Yeah, yeah. That's um, really terrible. Yeah. Which is interesting because then if you look at, like, geographics, if you go to the north, you know, a lot more to, um, you know, like, Norway, Sweden, you know, a lot of, you know, like, Eastern European countries and stuff as well, where like the body's perceived 
very much different where it's very open and it always has been and there's like like kind of a little bit more of like an, an open sexuality and stuff where there it was it was not revered but it was never looked at like you know this is odd that people are naked together you know but then you have like another culture that's just like we need to get rid of you know like any kind of reproductive organs organs so that you didn't end up sleeping with one of the women in the palace and then a peasant bringing the bloodlines into royalty right yeah there castration of of servants has been but throughout different cultures it's not just been oh yeah Chinese. yeah 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 um and uh body odor how the smell of body odor even to peasants was considered to be barbaric but the higher you got up in that socioeconomic scale the more barbaric that your smell became um i found this one to be very interesting in contrast to it also alluded that like bathing techniques were not very revered you know like there wasn't a lot of like self hygiene and self care but then you were almost penalized by not having this system when it wasn't adopted globally across society but like how would you not smell like something like there was how no- would not be a neurotic mess yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like there's no way you would have any sanity or mental health mm-hmm. if you to live in society maybe that's why so many people went off to meditate and, and be wandering aesthetics and things like that because it probably didn't apply to them mm-hmm. that's really um yeah because there's no way to prevent that right no and, and they bathing. yeah and if you were to talk to anybody of royalty um, of anybody of any kind of social status you had to chew and suck on cloves for hours so that there is no distinct smell even coming from your mouth. So like I when I look at things like that especially in contrast to today's society like could you imagine how anxiety ridden our society would be today? Because like you think like that's a, like something you typically only really find in gyms. Like people are just like, "Oh, you stink." Well, I just went to the gym. It's like, "Oh, okay." Like, you know, but people never really look at that bad because if somebody smells terrible, you kind of look at it as this like transient thing like you know they haven't had a shower yet or they just got back from a workout or they just finished playing soccer or something along those lines right like it's not really something that's like or you just got back from camping you know but like they're not it does have an odor and some people's mm-hmm. odors are more perceptible to others whether they're clean or not mm-hmm. and and i mean to an extent we are still obsessed with that look at all of the deodorants and perfumes and stuff like that people wear yeah See, and this was a part that I so now I kind of remembering one thing about this I wanted to ask you is that if we are so hyper focused even like back then in like you know ancient culture and then you know like you said we can speed that up in today's time we're still doing that like not much has changed isn't there a part of like somebody's smell that you could be very much attracted to and it might be one of the barriers of how we're not actually finding like good mates or a mate that we should be with or you know somebody that we might have a great relationship because they may not they may not check all the boxes in these boxes that we've created but simply like this person's pheromones are just irresistible to you but we're masking those yeah yeah 
think, or maybe our body senses them anyway. Who knows? Yeah. You can't stop the pheromones from coming out, right? The body odor is more the result of the bacteria. Yeah. Do you think there's any bridge there that, you know, like we might be hindering like relationships or like anything just washing off so much bacteria because like that's the big thing with hand sanitizers right it's killing all bacteria not just bad bacteria um and like I what the i think it's more that we're hindering the relationships between the cells that keeps the skin healthy oh okay and anything else yeah mm -hmm. yeah um Lice, and you said that you totally agree with this um, in in concept when we talked about this lice concept. So, um, because the very last part of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, well, I was gonna get to that as I explain this. I, I never just, heard the first part. Yeah, I just um, so I guess we could cover what we know now today. Do do lice live on? people or in hair like clean hair not dirty hair like what we traditionally thought before right like it's not like this greasy dirty hair like people thought like lice was with people who were like you know like unbathed and dirty we still, we still think of that about anything right mm -hmm. so any, any whether it's lice or an std it means that person's dirty yeah where our minds go yeah for the most yeah yeah um so lice used to be so bad, not just living in the hair, but like scurrying all over one's body, um, especially peasants. And um, the poorer that you were, the more of a peasant you were, the more people used to um, eat this lice off each other. Um, and in a traditional Chinese medicine perspective, that if the lice were staying on you, um, it conceptually meant that you were still healthy. This is the part that you were uh, maybe agreeing to. And that if the lice were running off your body, this meant that um, you were about to die or death was intimate or you had some disease of the body. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Would that be like, do you think like stuff like that's happening all the time? It's just we don't have a good, good enough like visual representation of that um, because lice are like they'd be easier to see even though that I thought that lice were like, you know, less than the size of a match head. So, or like even smaller than that. Um, so it seems like it'd be interesting that people for one would be eating them off of each other, but never mind that um, we'd be using this as like an assessment tool. But like, do you think that that's happening with us with like bacteria, it just like bacteria are, are dying and not running off of us? Um, like if there is something that's wrong with, with our body or what's going on in our body? could be yeah interesting yeah. um that, did you ever see that movie world war z i did I saw but more when it first came out but i can't that, that was like the premise that if you were ill that you wouldn't get infected with the zombie illness because oh. it only wanted healthy hosts oh okay well yeah that makes sense yeah so it's like along that line of thinking hmm. i guess like yeah like you can look at it from like all these ways where like that would make sense and like in so many different ways, but like on both sides, and I guess a little bit more of a biological opposite of that would be is that we want dry firewood to produce a fire, you know, but you want a, a healthy, uh, you know, branch to be able to make a bow and arrow. Right. Well, the other thing um, that this also made me just think about that I just lost was, what was it? It was that um oh like i've heard 
that are that are uh, emanating more carbon dioxide who might not be like have who may not have an adequate or optimal gas exchange are people that are more likely to get bitten by mosquitoes more. Really? That. Yes. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Is that anecdotal, or has there actually been some study on that? I don't know. I've heard I've heard people say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never looked it up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, huh. but I've heard it more than once because it stuck with me. So I should look it up. But that could be the case with ticks too. I mean, I've got people in here that live on farms that you know are working with horses and are you know out in the in the in nature doing stuff and they get bit every so often i have other people that every appointment they come in i'm picking a tick off their back because they also are outside have for some reason the ticks are more drawn to them than other people yeah so i definitely think there's something to that i think there's a reason i think there's something we're emitting Mm -hmm. uh, that's causing that and i think that happens with i think dogs can smell stuff too so they may be more apt to, apt to like bark at certain people or chase them or growl at them or something because maybe they're smelling something that's coming out of their body. I always thought that was like dogs' intuition of being able to it, like gauge energy in people. It can it can be, but I think it's the other too. Yeah. I've 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 witnessed what I think is the other. So, which would be interesting with the CO2 exchange one with the mosquitoes, because you think with emitting like an improper like gas exchange, but being outside in a hyper oxygenated environment, typically when you're around mosquitoes, it wouldn't create some kind of balance. I'd be really interested. I'm going to have to take a look at that because that'd yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Especially since you're outdoors a lot. Which you know, like, I don't with groups of people you can see like who they gravitate toward and then so i'll tell you something funny i i've spent well well, i turned 39 in the summertime which means i've spent 39 years outside regularly all the time and i have never not once uh had a tick bite ever never um I go in like lakes and rivers and streams and this and that and the next thing. And I've never had a leech on me. And ever since I started eating a carnivore diet, like predominantly like 90%, you know, meat based diet, uh, mosquitoes don't bite me anymore. I can be like outside everybody's getting bit by mosquitoes and I'm not getting bit by, by mosquitoes. I have no idea why. Oh, you have to look that up. I know. But like, <laughs> it's like how many people would have like researched and like, like, what are you emitting by having like a hyper protein rich diet? Yeah. You know, that like you, what would, what would you be emitting gas wise, like pheromone wise, like yeah. anything, like what would you be emitting that it would prevent you or act like a natural um, insect repellent? Very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, public. Or, well, I guess I should say this. It started off that a lot of people used to um, defecate in traditionally pig pens or any animal pen, and those animals would then eat that. Um, but then in, uh, in ancient China, when public bathrooms became available, uh, people used to go around at night, quote-unquote, stealing that 
hoop because it was treasured like gold, but I couldn't find anything that they uh, did with that, um, which would segue into this next few, which would be the somebody came up with an idea of boiling 150 gallons of urine and when all of the water was boiled away, it would leave these crystals in salts in the bottom that they would encapsulate and then take five to seven of those every morning with warm wine. Why were they taking them? Did it, did it say? It didn't say for what. Like the one thing I noticed with all of these things, it always just had this caveat that it was for medicinal purposes, but never really specifying what that medicinal purpose would be. It always just had this blanket statement for medicinal purposes. But, um, like, what do you think, like, do hormones really, like, through, like, boiling it out and being under, because it would take a long time to boil out that kind of, um, like, any kind of, like, watery kind of, like, liquid out of 150 gallons of urine. Like, that would... Yeah, they, they have a lot of time. But wouldn't that, under that kind of heat, wouldn't it wreck any hormones in it? Like... <laughs> with like denature things sure and i'm sure to some extent it does but there must be something i think that there's probably a reason for that mm -hmm. and then do you think that these salts and these crystals would be have an extraordinary amount of ammonia in them would they be like more ammonianized crystals like would it or would it the ammonia evaporate out i think the ammonia would evaporate out hmm just because, like, it, obviously, like, ammonia is such, so maybe rich. Maybe it's, like, the, the, like, minerals that they're trying to capture. Maybe it's for people that were deficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, like, I find it to be interesting. Is that Ancient China had a lot of famine. Mm -hmm. And that wiped out, like, entire families, generations of families and stuff, like, like, over and over and over again. And they were very isolated from the rest of the world. So the rest of the world didn't even know that that was happening when it was happening. We don't learn about that really in our history classes in the, in at least in the United States so much. Um, but it's, it's been something that's left an indelible imprint in the psyche of the Chinese throughout time. Maybe not so much nowadays, but you know, when the culture was like pretty much strictly agrarian, and you knew, like, most of your family was going to get wiped out. I mean, that, that, I can't imagine what that would do mm -hmm. to you and, and, and cause, and, and you'd be looking for ways to find nourishment. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that this made me think of when you told me about it is, like, in Ayurvedic medicine, there's a practice of tongue scraping. Mm -hmm. So it's like a little metal instrument and you scrape your tongue and you slough off whatever excess is on your tongue in the morning before you even brush your teeth. And you're doing that because you're cleaning a lot of bacteria out of your mouth, but it's also an assessment tool. And so, um, and, and the tongue scraping stimulates parts of your body through the microcosm of the tongue. And um, in, I remember in Chinese medicine school, one of my teachers, was talking about the nutrition in the, on the tongue. Oh. And how you're, like, so in Ayurvedic medicine, it's looked at as a waste product that you want to expel from your system. 
you don't want to swallow all that harmful bacteria back into your stomach first thing in the morning. This Chinese doctor was saying that it's nutrition and that you should be like trying to like swish it around your mouth and eat it in the morning. See, and this brings me back. I don't, did you ever watch uh, Jungle Cruise with The Rock, the movie that came out like six months or a year oh, ago? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I've seen the previews. So I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so like there's this one part where they're like in the jungle and there's this like kind of fake tribe, like ancient tribe or whatever. And um, so the one guy, he's drinking this drink and then the other guy goes to him. He's like, hey, is that good? And that guy's like, yeah, it's actually not that bad. And he's like, well, it's fermented spit. So then obviously me, I'm all like, you know, okay, this is going to lead me down a rabbit hole. And there is cultures who used to ferment spit. And people, oh, oh. my! Use it to make alcoholic beverages. It just literally makes my mouth water. Like thinking, like just like how thick spit it and just. You know. This entire list makes my mouth water. Yeah. Drinking fermented spit, because you think, how many people would need to spit in an urn or, you know, like anything that they're going to spit into um, to create enough The entire village. They did, like, Anthony Bourdain or somebody like that had an episode on their show where they went to one of these places and they, you know, spit in the... Yeah. Could you imagine doing like a bacterial assessment of that? It would just be like, because then you're allowing it to ferment, which is just like another bacteria rich environment. Like, I I don't know. Like, it it just makes me cringe. Like, just think of sticking that thing to your mouth in that real thick, slimy spit. Uh Like, oh, (laughs) I just. Uh, which maybe this is the, oh, I can't even talk right now. Uh, maybe this is a good segue into Nobody's yellow soup. soup. <laughs> um, yeah, yellow soup. Poop soup. Yep, that's in my book too. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and I remember thinking, does it smell? Oh, I would imagine so. And... Why somebody would hand you a spoon would be on me. I would be like, put that shit in a shot glass and let me get this over and done with. To sit down with a bowl of soup that smells like feces and to eat it one spoon at a time is like torture. I can't even imagine somebody doing that. Giving it to is already dying. And then you're, and I understand like how this actually turned out to be something that was like beneficial. It's like it's fecal transplant therapy. I know, but you can just stick a tube in my butt and just pour it in. I like to put it in my mouth and make me swallow it. Like I just see that's manageable, but knowing what it'd be like, just throw it in a shake or something like that. Like part of Yeah. Herbs to clear up, they will make you gag. And they yeah. fill the house. And you, it's not just 
scoop soup that that can be pretty gnarly. But but it's definitely it's in the top probably three for me. I I not knowing what any of them smell like, but uh, you know what I mean. Like it's just it kind of makes me sweat thinking about like. I always am like, I'll try anything once, but when I look at that, you know, and it's like, like, and it's like, don't even try to lie to me bringing over and it's yellow, like make it brown. Like, like, let's go for the whole experience here. Like, I know it's going to smell terrible. It's going to taste terrible. They may have put other stuff in it. So if they put, um, uh, Huang Lai in it or, or Huang Lian, uh, those are herbs that they use to dye things yellow. Okay. Or, yeah, like turmeric, you know, turmeric gets mm-hmm. everything all orangey or yellow. Yeah. Same thing. So they could have been, they put other stuff in it too. Yeah. And they could have put that stuff in it in order to help, like, kill some of the bad bacteria in the food soup. Yeah. Well, because that's what it would do. And it would help to clear inflammation on its way. I'm having a tough time with this conversation <laughs> right now, but it just, like, I, I, I can't even imagine the first person who was like, I know what's going to cure you. Just trust me. I'm going to just go to the bathroom. I'm going to grab some herbs and I'm going to come out and I got this yellow soup. I understand it smells terrible, but it's going to work. Like, how do you convince somebody? Like they, they only gave this to people who had dysentery and who were not going to make it. But you still, I would imagine, what like what would be the theory? Like, because this to, to me is like somehow they knew, somehow they knew that it that it overcrowded the dysentery pathogen microbes in the body. And it wasn't some guy just being an asshole, and then he's like, "Oh, that worked." And well, then none, none of Chinese medicine is some guy being an asshole. It's people actually figured this stuff out somehow. Yeah, I just... And yeah, they may have seen animals eat... They may have seen a sick animal eat some of other animals' crap and get better. I mean, who yeah. knows how they figured it out? That is true. I actually never entertain that at all. But, like, that goes back to, like, the people pooping in pig pens and the pigs eating it. Like, you can start to kind of see... That makes me think that that could be why certain groups don't actually eat pork. Yeah. I could see that now. For sure. They can see the trail yeah. of where that's going, if that's what they were doing. And, and like I said, like now if you kind of like logically start to think about it, like you come up with that conclusion, I'm like, oh, well, if like they see other animals like living in like these really, you know, bacteria infested environments and they're eating poop and they seem to be healthy. And they're like, well, is that what's making them healthy? Who knows? You know, like you can kind of start to see how like a, a, a person with a scientific mind would be like, oh, like the curiosity would start to run a little bit rampant and be like, hey, like, could this help? And then they try it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's the one that made us both gag when we were talking about it before. Um, so around the time when the smallpox vaccine was created, but not everybody in China had access to the smallpox vaccine and somebody came to the conclusion, the understanding just getting a small dose of smallpox, um, could be beneficial, like having a vaccine, 
so they would pick the scabs or collect the scabs of people who had smallpox um, and they would feed them uh, to children and to each other as a way of vaccinating against smallpox. And my mouth is so full of water right now. I just had I to have to. Uh, <laughs> like it just makes my skin crawl. Like if somebody, like I think like the fear factor days where it's like, if you had a person sitting there with smallpox, which you obviously never would. But then I'm like, if somebody was there with smallpox, for you to be able to pick the scabs off them, is it the scab that gives you like the immunity? Or is it because you are by proxy around somebody with smallpox and you're probably exposed to it already anyway? Well, that could that very well. I mean, none of this was in a sterilized lab. Of course, that's a possibility. My skin is just crawling thinking about that. But if you didn't get smallpox, (sighs) then it was most likely that you dosed yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I, I, all of these things just always kind of come back to me about is it people are really malleable to trying real crazy stuff or like, like how, like, how do you get people if you're just like, or, or put it this way, imagine being an elder in an area where you have this idea or somebody comes to you with this idea and you have this influence over people and you say, I, this is going to help. There's really no convincing. You're just, your word is gospel and you say, this is going to help. So people just start doing it. Like, but look at the way the smallpox, the smallpox vaccine started in the West. It was like somebody's idea and they dosed, some like poor kid or something you know what I mean and that's how they found out they weren't sure it was going to work which still happens all around the world today which a lot of people and especially the Gates Foundation gets heavily criticized for doing vaccine experimentation on kids and people in Africa right Uh, yeah that's it's so dark like it is so dark what people do in this planet you know in like the name of experimentation or science and and actually sorry this is gonna be completely off topic but i heard this today this morning i put zero research into this but i'm going to because this actually heavily affects my family um so in france there was a case where um a man died after getting the covid vaccine i think it was the pfizer moderna one don't but it doesn't really matter so they were trying to, or they were collecting his life insurance. Um, but it was labeled as a suicide because he voluntarily air quotes, even though he didn't voluntarily take the vaccine, but he voluntarily took the vaccine. So the insurance company won't pay the life insurance. And they said that these cases are going to start popping up all over the world. That's how the insurance companies are going to cover their backpacks. Yeah. And which, when you look at it, this is the part that worries me, is that if in five years from now, 10 years from now, if this hepatitis thing has anything to do with COVID or COVID vaccines, you know, if any of these heart conditions do, and they trace that back at one point in time, say in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and say, okay, well, you know, we can prove that this myocarditis that you have is because, or that you had, and this is the reason why you died was from this COVID vaccine, 
Now people aren't getting paid their life insurance policies because of cancer, heart conditions and all this kind of stuff. And they've uh, linked it back to this vaccine. And then all those life insurance policies weren't getting paid. Yeah, we're going to have to, that has to get, that has to go through the courts. That's not, yeah. I don't think that that's going to be able to stand. The first thing that came to my mind when I heard that was like, this is back to how like all those insurance companies made millions and then now billions of dollars selling life insurance policies to Jewish people during World War II. You know, and just like how like disgusting like world history can be again, like what we're talking about with like, you know, vaccine trials on kids, like the smallpox one, but it's just like, it's just how terrible is that that somebody passes away because of this and an insurance company is just looking for that that loophole not to be able to pay for it when clearly this you know this person has paid you know their monthly dues they pay their annual dues whatever it may be and now this family is in mourning and you know maybe he has young kids i have no idea um you know and now that might have been like their schooling or there might have been like their housing or just like their future now it's taken away from you know and who knows like there's there's a 50-50 chance that he probably never wanted to get the vaccine, was but more coerced into doing it for his job or for travel or, you know, to see, you know, somebody who's like sick and had oh. to do it to be able to get to a hospital. I just, there's all, it was just a really, really dark moment of, you know, stuff that I found out, which I kind of like said, it, you know, at the end of this with this smallpox thing, like it is all of these things kind of mesh together in a really, really dark way for humans. So. Let's move on from that. We don't need a uh, dive into that. Let's go into something that has piqued my curiosity for a long time, um, but I've never really discussed it with anybody before. And that's how we can make uh, white adipose tissue, brown adipose tissue. So white fat cells, brown fat cells, you know, we can, you know, make glucose out of those fat cells, either one of them. Um, but we also can make glucose out of protein through gluconeogenesis. But we have nine, nine essential amino acids, right? We have nine essential amino acids that the body cannot make. So we have to supplement those in through our diet because the body can't naturally make those on their own. And we have over 20 that the body can. And they are deemed essential amino acids because we do need them for our survival. Why do you think our body would leave such um, a gaping black hole in organic synthesis in the body of something that is so critical? I think because the nature is highly efficient and or at least it tends to lean in that direction and that we didn't it was more efficient for the body to get those things from outside of itself than to generate them from inside itself somehow i mean that's but not, glucose would be the same way though right because like think of like how many products that are ready available are you know carbohydrate based well, this is the perplexing kind of part to me. Well, where think about like you know a million years ago. Yeah. What was available? Yeah, I guess that is true. I'm I'm thinking of it too See, much, maybe in today's terms. That's the most available thing, right? Because mm -hmm. if it was a drought, if it was the wrong time of year, meat would have been what you would eat. Actually, I never thought about that either. That is true. If there was any drought-like conditions or food scarcity, you'd be leaning a lot more towards a, a carnivore diet than you would be a plant-based diet. There's such a range of, of meat in certain cultures' diets. Mm -hmm. I think it's based on that, that they 
become accustomed to eating more things because they had to at some point in the past. Which is also something seasonally because there is a lot of cultures that predominantly eat meat during the late fall, winter, early spring months because um, before food preservation came along or just not having the available like storage for, you know, mass uh, production of, um, you know, like plant-based products and stuff like that. Um, like you, te you tend to eat a lot more meat in the wintertime because it was something that was readily, readily available to you. Yeah. Huh. And our bodies adapted to that, right? So every season, our our microbiome shifts to allow for what is naturally occurring at that time. Which that would also make sense why through protein intake, you could go through gluconeogenesis to be able to um, create minimal amounts of glucose is because you wouldn't have that glucose available to you. And probably your fat stores were running very low you know, later in the winter months. Right. So you couldn't even start to metabolize that adipose tissue into glucose because those stores were getting um, low and the body was triggering the process to slow that production down because it knows it needs fat on the body. Yeah, I guess it's kind of starting to all come together now. It's one of those beautiful parts of conversation where you can kind of start to see the roadmap being laid out in front of you when it comes to some of these more complex topics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which this is when I asked you, um, if you knew approximately how long ancient Chinese practitioners or ancient cultures typically live, like the average median age, which we generally know, you know, about like a thousand years ago is roughly about like 35 years old. Um, yeah. um, do we know from like a, a traditional Chinese medicine perspective, of, like did people live longer than that? Uh, was that kind of the median age for people in ancient Chinese cultures as well? I don't know. Um, I'm, I just am looking it up. Um, I would imagine for most of the population, it would be the same as everywhere else. I would think that for people that had the means, that it would be longer. Mm -hmm. And certainly a whole field of Chinese medicine devoted to longevity. So longevity, lifestyle, and diet, and herb intake, things like that. Yeah. And this was really up until, and correct me if I'm wrong, about Life expectancy in ancient China was 22 to 35. Okay. So, so I, guess, I guess the castration thing didn't matter because if you were only going to live a couple more years anyway. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> As a man, I'm going to say it's a big deal. Like, it's a really it's big a deal. It's a huge deal. No, <laughs> it, it is a huge deal. It's terrible. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, no, I, I know that's why I was left to do it. But so this is the reason why that. So it is about the same. And this was up until about 150 or 200 years ago that people typically lived to about 35, you know, and then it kind of pushed up into 40. And then once you get to 40, it started making like exponential jumps, like, you know, 40. And then I think it was like 55 right away. And then it was like bumped up to like 70 quite quickly after that, just within the last few generations. Now, the one thing that I really kind of come to head with is like, okay, well, you know, we can do all these things for a body. Like we can eat healthy, you know, we can sauna, we can do cold therapy, we can work out, we can, you know, eat organic foods, we can take supplements, we can do all of these things. Um, but 
like how much of it is like really helping like like people just aren't supposed to be living as long as what we are like we're we're living in a world where we have opportunity to be able to live longer for sure but should we be doing like any of this and is it actually really doing anything to our overall quality of life because the one thing that i know as our life expectancy has increased in every year that people are born the life expectancy kind of gets pushed a little bit further down the road and they're saying that kids born you know in these last few years will probably live there would be a lot of centenarians like well over like you know 110 115 but it's like are our bodies even really supposed to be doing that is our mind supposed to be doing that because when we've done these things like mental illness has increased you know overall um like quality of life has decreased you know living with more diseases has increased um, you know, and like, yes, a lot of that may be from processed foods and inactivity and this, that, and the next thing, you know, but a, a lot of it, like, you know, like we just talked about, it takes tens of thousands of years for small genetic variations through an evolutionary process. But all of a sudden within the last 200 years, we double our like life expectancy and our bodies can adapt mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually to that. Like, I don't buy it for a second. What's your opinion? <laughs> well, I, from, from some of the like yogic teachings, my understanding is that humans are given about a hundred year lifespan as the expectation for what's, you know, what should be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, it's 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 a it's a tough question. I mean, it takes into account the idea of actually living, and if if that's what we're actually doing when we're trying to extend life, it takes into account like the question of are we actually doing harm by trying to keep people alive that are prob- probably suffering quite a bit um, with medical interventions and whatnot. It's a tough one. It's a big. So even like with that, like is yoga, as we know, is not new, it's very old, has a lot of ancient roots. But at that time, people weren't living to 100, even though the principles were teaching. But I think some of the yoga teachers and some of the Dallas practitioners were. Oh, Okay. I mean, we have all those images of them with these long gray beards and mm-hmm. wrinkly and thin and bowed over. You know what I mean? It's not. So I think that I think that people were. Mm-hmm. I just think that, um, you know, it's a combination of factors that allows for that to happen and that they include your genetics, what you're exposed to in your life, your lifestyle they all come into account, like the harsher living conditions you have, the more energy it takes to get through a day and the less energy you have for other things. And I mean, that in and of itself to me seems like it could hinder your life expectancy. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we're doing more harm than good? Like, do you think that like maybe a prophet or a wise one 
you know, somebody who has information that needs to be passed down until another person of you know, that can achieve like profit like status, you know, like somebody who can be trusted to take that information and keep passing that information off to generations to come. Do you think like there should be those people who live to be a centenarian? Or do you think like that's something everybody should be doing? It's not a matter of what I think should be happening. It's a matter of what could be happening. And in terms of yoga practice and longevity, or any self-cultivation practice and longevity, the idea is that you maintain mobility and mental clarity throughout that time that you're aging. Not just that you're living to, you know, 110 and you have no idea who you are anymore and you're bedridden. That's, that's not the purpose behind longevity practices. Vitality, also, right? A lot, yeah, it's vitality. And in a lot of the herbal remedies are actually like cognitive formulas or herbs mm-hmm. for our memory enhancement and our thinking uh ability so do you what what do you think is the cart before the horse like if i keep my mind strong my body will follow if i keep my body strong my mind will follow or do you think they're synonymous i think if you keep your mind strong then you can deal with it when your body doesn't follow mm-hmm. because eventually the body's not going to follow mm-hmm. right that's just nature yeah that's why i feel like it's so important for us to focus on our mind do you think that that's one of the things that led to some of these old school yogis like living for so long these prophets because they were very much intellectually driven they were intellectually driven i think in the sense that they had a very strong will to know what the truth of their existence is and when you, the more insightful you become, the more aware you become of subtleties in how much you're eating and what you're eating and when you're, you know what I mean? Like just the things that you would ordinarily like do out of habit, everything becomes intentional and mindful when you're in that state. So it, I think that it, creates a different environment inside the body in a different way that stuff gets processed. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe so much um, or toxin doesn't build up in somebody who's living that way because they're making choices just based on the way they think and feel that are in their higher good, that are in their best interest on like a very like regular basis. Mm-hmm. There always gets to be a point in time where we get to this this apex of a point of diminishing returns. Do you think that um, 7 billion people can find purpose on this planet? Or do you think, because we know that like smaller subcultures usually have a lot better mental health, physical health, sense of community, you know, like smaller pockets of people, smaller communities. Do you do you think we have reached a point of diminishing returns where there's too many people that can find happiness or too many people that can find like a good chosen path 
in life. And because we live in this very connected world right now, if there's even 10% of that population, usually 10% of the population are the loudest who are usually the most unhappy. And that kind of spreads um, that mindset and that negativity. Um, I believe that that's true. And I also believe that everybody has the ability to everyone. I believe that everyone physically, physiologically, mentally, and emotionally is, it comes into the world into existence with the ability to know the, themselves and and to follow a path. I just think that we're not like our habit of the habit of cultures, the habits in cultures, the habits of families in families, the habit is not geared toward encouraging that sort of knowing and growth. I think that overall as a species, we're sort of in our infancy of understanding that. And the, of course, there are people who do it, a lot of people. And there are people who grow up in families that are encouraging that sort of um, actualization. But there's a lot pulling against it, you know? There's a lot of, it, it is very difficult to change the brain. It's very difficult to encourage people to let go of their beliefs and their opinions and maybe allow for another option or for truth to come through that's not in alignment with those beliefs and opinions because we identify. We're, it's like our minds are wired to identify with whatever we think and feel and are raised to believe is is true or is real and so i this i think that yes everyone has the potential but whether it's tapped for everyone mm -hmm. or even if they have the desire to tap it or believe it's even possible to is another thing entirely yeah and i guess then it comes back down to the question too that would it be easier for one or all or the vast majority of people to be able to get to that place if we didn't have so much else to focus on like the clutter like uh, if there is mean, yes but it also depends on the person's mind is you know like are you someone who struggles a lot with anger are you someone who struggles a lot with worry or with fear are you someone who struggles a lot with clinging or with grief? We all struggle with those things. It's just a matter of, you know, the extent. And those things, even in the absence of distractions, are also a distraction. Mm -hmm. And they also inhibit. And they're coming from within, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's tricky. It's not just about, you know what we're being distracted by outside of ourselves. People like me glorify what once was. Um, I don't know if you're one of those people too, but. You've talked about this yeah. before. I don't. 
I don't yeah. actually. And um, you just made me think, since I glorify once what was because it's not here today. I wonder if those people back then, if they had an opportunity to be able to come here right now, say, you know, 200 years, 500 years, whatever time frame we want to call it, if they would look at what's going on today and be like, oh, I just so wish that I was there doing that. I think that they would have a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a lot to wrap your head around, you know? And, you know, maybe there was a time Maybe like Lemuria mm-hmm. or Atlanta, you know, maybe there was a time when the consciousness of the people was more in the direction of kindness, compassion, unity, oneness, encouragement, non judgmentalness, mm-hmm. you know, a lack of criticism of themselves and others. Maybe as a whole, that society at one point was more like that mm-hmm. but i don't i don't think that with the historical record we have that anything that we know of on maybe there's a certain culture like small you know bit of, of culture here and there that we're able to do it but i mean really what we've seen is that history keeps repeating itself honestly mm-hmm. unfortunately if you had to throw a random year out there of when and maybe it hasn't come yet of when you might think of that like society has got to a point of diminishing returns technologically like has that achieved has that come that date come and passed for you like do you do you see like oh you know um in the 80s, you know, like when we had a little bit more, like in the 60s or the 50s or, you know, 2010 or is there a, a, a point in time that you can recall that, you know, maybe not in your lifetime, they are like, wow, you know, like if we kind of, we were doing really good there as a, as a species, kind of whether or not be like local to the United States or North America or just around the world, like ha- have we been there yet or are we still on a path to that? I don't know. I don't think I know enough about any civilization or time in history to know that's the case. I mean, I think that the Renaissance is sort of touted as that time. Mm-hmm. In the yogic texts, I know they talk about us being in a golden age. Back then or now? Now. Now? I did. I I find that to be interesting. I guess like where we are geopolitically, where we are, you know, uh, geoeconomically, um, and just where a lot of people are transferring into these fake worlds, like the metaverse. Mm-hmm. You know, and how we, if we were at a golden age right now, why is everybody running? from just facing where humanity is at right now. Oh, I'm going to back up for one sec. I just looked this up. There is a time called Satya Yuga, which is the highest golden age. And that begins in 7,700. We got a ways to go. 
Yeah. <laughs> but but and, and, and we don't too though, right? Like it's like we look at that and how we perceive information. That's a long time from now. But like when we we dial everything back out, that's kind of like a blink in the eye of like where this universe is, where we've been as a species and everything, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I guess the reason what makes me ask you these questions today, I've, I've actually been asking a, a lot of people these kind of existential questions or just like really deep, meaningful questions because I keep coming across situations in my life where I kind of lose a little bit of faith in humanity. And I I just wonder where people are at because I love my life. I, I love everything about my life. and But I realize humanity is in a really interesting place right now. You know, from when you're like, seeing you know uh, a 50 something year old man in a standoff in Vancouver with some 20 something year old woman over a parking spot to like you know uh, in Buffalo you have somebody gunning people down in front of a mall to like you know Putin now accusing you know and says he has documentation of how the United States has been funding biological weapons labs in the Ukraine the list goes on forever. And it's like, I was in a situation uh, a week ago today. Is it Tuesday or Wednesday? Dude? Tuesday? Tuesday. Okay, a week ago tomorrow. Um, where there, there was a pretty like severe medical situation that happened. And there was about 30 people around. And then in a restaurant. So literally hundreds of people around. And nobody knew what to do and everybody was paralyzed with fear um so i had to take over the situation and luckily that it, it you know kind of it had a positive conclusion but at the end of it when i looked around nobody was there like everybody was gone and i would it it blew my mind and then you know maybe about 20 minutes after like everything kind of came full circle i was just i was using the washroom standing there sorry to be graphic but um and this guy's like you know you really shouldn't have done this and this and this and i would like if i wasn't standing over a urinal my jaw would hit the floor and i was like i can't even i have nothing to say you know, like I, I i was so dumbfounded and there like there's like little situations like that that i that I see in life becoming a little bit more like a parent all the time where like, I just, I really wonder like where we are going, not like where I'm going for, like I have a clear understanding where I'm going as a person, but what, what makes me think I'm like, well, what if somebody that I loved and cared about a lot needed somebody in the, the situation that I presented myself in, or I got presented in, in front of me, what would happen to them? You know, and there was multiple, there was about eight or 10 things that went really, really kind of let me down with people like in this, in this situation, you know, like what it was is this woman was having a seizure and nobody knew what to do. And she was already turning purple by the time that I was brought over to help. And 911 was on the phone and 
people were around and there's like, well, we have her laying on her side, you know, so that she doesn't choke. I'm like, she's already choking on something. So I flipped her onto her back. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to pry this woman's mouth apart. I have to try to some extent. She's choking on, like she's blue, purple, like her arms going for, like there's clearly something wrong. I don't know if it's her tongue that rolled back into her throat. I don't know if she was eating something. I don't know if she was chewing gum when it happened. Um, well, I, when I rolled her onto the back, I tried to get her mouth open. Obviously, wasn't working. You know, she was full-on seizure, locked jaw. Wasn't happening. Rolled her back onto her side, took a big deep breath. You know, like, 911's on the phone. This guy's talking to them. I can hear the operator. He's trying to relay this information back on me. Like, I, there's other people around kind of giving their two cents. But I'm like, I'm just focusing. Like, I'm shuttling it all out. I'm like, you know, I, I'm not... A medical expert i'm not a doctor but i have a general understanding that something needs to be done and the only thing i thought that's really going through my mind is i'm like i really hope because i would never do it or even have an understanding how to do it if this person got to a point where they needed like a tracheotomy just to be able to breathe and um so i flipped her on her side again i'm like you know a few more like maybe like 30 seconds or a minute had gone by and I'm like you know maybe like her seizure has let up enough that I can pry her mouth open still nothing can't do it and by now she's like like purple purple and I'm like well I don't know how bad anything is lodged in her throat I know she can't breathe I'm not going to do a tracheotomy the only other option I have is like mouth to mouth at this point in time, like, I know I shouldn't be pushing this thing further down. I don't know if I can get some air around it. If it's her tongue, maybe I can get some air around it. If it's a piece of gum, maybe I can push it down into her. Like, I have no idea, but something needs to be done because the paramedics are here. So I tilt her head back. I plug her nose and she's like foaming, like all at the, the just the spit. Right. And, um, so then I put my my mouth like over her mouth and I just like I start trying to breathe and all I can feel is like the air coming back on me and like the spit coming back because I can't get any air through. So then I just take a big deep breath, plug her nose and I try like one more time, same thing. And then like by this point in time, like, you know, when you have that feeling where like, like this is it, like this is like that one time, right? And uh, so I plugged her nose and I just took a gigantic breath. And with like everything I had, I just blew that air in her mouth as hard as I could. And by the time I was halfway through the breath, she went, <gasps> and like, like it just, I don't, I'm not saying one had anything to do with the other, um, but at that, whether her seizure led up or like whatever, like, but like it all kind of came together, like at that moment and stuff. And, um, and, you know, like I said, and like by that point in time, I like look up and I look around and like, you know, everybody's gone except for the guy holding the phone with like 911 on the phone. They left before you even got done. No one 100%. stayed to help. 100%. Wow. And, um, and then like, you know, like there's, there's a few other things. Then it gets to the point where the paramedics finally show up and they ask her like a few questions. She is completely incoherent, obviously. Um, you know, like her vitals are normal great but still it's like what does that mean when this person just literally almost died and so they're just like okay can you get up and go sit in that chair like you know we just we'll take your temperature and stuff and i'm like aren't you gonna help her up off the floor and they're like no her vitals are fine she can get up and i'm like she's been laying on the floor for like 10 minutes 
completely unconscious and probably had no air going to her or no oxygen going to her brain for probably two or three of those minutes. And you're, you, you don't even have the decency to help her up off the floor. And this woman's fully dressed to go to it. We were at an event and like, she's got like three inch heels on like the whole bit, right? You know, like short, tight dress, you know, like I said, like dressed to go out for the night to an event. So I help her up off the floor and I get her in this chair. They take her temperature, ask her like a couple more questions, has no idea she's even married. Like we end up like calling one of her best friends because, you know, she vaguely remembers that she has siblings. And then her best friend was like, you know, her husband, you shouldn't be calling her husband. And we're like, well, we didn't even know she had a husband. And uh, then the paramedics are like, okay, let's go over and take you to the hospital. And so then they start walking away. There's no gurney or anything. And I'm like, well, are you going to help her? And they're like, no. I'm like, it's down two flights of stairs to a cobblestone sidewalk to go down another set of stairs to a cobblestone street. I'm like, and I like, I looked at her, I'm like, you, you have, there's, like, my mind is so blown in this situation by that point in time. Like, I, like, I can't even comprehend the situation. So I'm helping her down the stairs. Like, even for this, and this is a major restaurant chain. Like, even that you're one of your managers wouldn't want to help this person down the stairs. Because if they're going down the stairs and they fall, who do you think is liable for that? You know what I mean? Like, even from, like, a gross commercial liability standpoint, right? But never mind from the humanity perspective. I just don't want this person to take a header down two flights of stairs. And then so I like get her into the MS and I come back up and then that's when I use the washroom and then that's when the critics start to come in and I'm like, I'm not built for this. Like I'm built for that situation. Put me in that situation a thousand times over. I will willingly put myself in that situation. Doesn't matter to me. What I'm not built for is all of the shit around it. I just, I have, I struggle like with it. I didn't say anything to the guy. Like there's no point in saying like anything, but I'm like, you know, even to come into it, like, well, I'm going to the bathroom to start criticizing me, like, on this, like, situation that happened, it's, like, the layers of complexity of things that are wrong in that situation are, like, astonishing to me, and, and it, yeah, and, like, these are the things that, like, when you start looking at, like, what's going on in the world, and, like, people's responses, and how they handle things, I'm, like, I'm, like, I, one, one group of people I would want to trust in that situation is paramedics who we pay here in Canada to be able to take care of us, knowing that they wouldn't even help her into a chair or down the stairs and not saying all paramedics are like this. I've had people criticize me for being publicly, you know, shitting on, you know, um, paramedics, but I'm like, I don't agree that everybody's like this at all. I'm just saying that knowing that there's some out there like that, I'm like, I really don't want anybody that I, I know. I don't even know if you would be allowed to do that in, in the United States to let somebody walk on their own who, had done, who almost just choked to death. I know, right? This is the this is the thing. So it's like, you know, and I actually don't even know in Canada if you're allowed to either. To be honest with me, like right. like the right. like I I would lean on this side that you damn well better not be able to, and that yeah. these two people just made like a gross error in judgment. Um, but it's like that. Like this is kind of like what makes me like think of all these things like all the time because. Because I'm that type of person, I get in those kind of situations and then I'm self-reflective. So I think about them, not in like a, 
oh, I'm just going to like, you know, make my life miserable now. But it's more just like, hmm, like, what do we do with this information now? Like, like, like what happens after this? Like what, what's next? Like this is, this is an interesting point of life because again, when you like dial everything back in life that's going on right now, it's like, I can see how like overwhelming, like, you know, digital currency, digital IDs, you know, global wars, China taking over the world, you know, like paramedics not doing their job, nobody willing to, nobody willing to help this because like my question to these people that I will never ask any of them is how long would you have watched this person suffer before they died, before you did something? Like, that's the scary part to me. That's that, um, what is that called? There's a word for that. When people just freeze when they're in those situations. But, but like, that's the thing is like, it's not like these people just froze. It's like, I'm sure, at, like, getting up after the fact and realizing it was like, no, look, not just the people that didn't do anything. That those are the people I'm trying to, like, the paramedics, the yeah. way they behave, that gentleman in the in the stool or the, the what's it called, the yeah. way he behaves. Yeah, that's not that. Those two things to me, I think, would be more traumatizing than dealing with situation oh for me 100 percent, and that's that's why to me like i say like it is my duty as a human being on this planet that when somebody else is in need that like in in that kind of situation that you no matter how wrong you may be after the fact you damn well better do something like that's my that's my perspective like people are probably afraid to because they're afraid of getting sued or something i think that yeah. might be too but i mean when it comes to the paramedics yeah, it should have escorted her out. But even when you look at it too, like if people's first, this goes back to the world earlier. If people's kind of first thought process is like, I can't get involved. I'm going to get sued. You know, like there was a brief flash of a second when like I could see like, you know, like all of like this spit, you know, like all over this woman's face and her lips and her mouth. There is a, a, a flash of a second where like, I know this thought went through my mind. I'm like, hmm. But then I just went in and it, like it, it was as I was going down, my mind just kind of went like, and it was over with. Like, I just, I know there was that flash of thought, but I would never let it deter me from, you know, doing like, that's the third time in my life I've been in a situation like that. The first time the person passed away um in my arms and like the other two luckily that you know people were able to come out of it and stuff but um i just find that it's like it just it just makes me like ponder i guess if anything like be just like reflective like i i've i've pondered a lot of thought about it in in like the safety for the people that i love in the world that we're in in just regular everyday life, like you don't have to be in a war, you don't have to be in China, you don't have to be in North Korea, you don't have to be in any of these, like, you can be at a poshy restaurant in a poshy neighborhood in a poshy city. And you could like something that should really not easily, but like, I, I feel like that has a high success rate of a positive outcome. Um, if you're just willing to interject to some degree that 
I, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. Like you can see, I'm kind of like lost for words with it and stuff, but. Well, I, I can see how it would um, help you lose some faith in humanity. Yeah. I, I, I can relate to that. I mean, I feel like I haven't been in that knock wood situation at this point, but just the way people treated each other throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and all the negativity and even before that like in our election here i mean there's just been so much evilness Mm -hmm. that people have succumbed to and like whether they're trying to be evil or not i mean it boils that's all it's just ignorance and negativity is the choice and it for so many people so much of the time it's it's um it's dumbfounding Mm -hmm. and even like a like a a touch point for like what you were saying was like like our federal government has just they've done so much lying and it's so obvious now because even like the mainstream media in canada is like actually starting not not forwardly calling them out but printing the articles to prove like hey they lied they didn't have this information. They lied to you about this. Like they're actually saying it, um, which is refreshing because like they were all, you know, like they bought into the narrative hook, hook, line and sinker. But like, those are the things because like I was either because I was born and raised on a farm in, you know, what would be like the equivalent to the Midwest, like Iowa would be like a, probably a good, you know, transfer, um, to where I grew up and, um, lying, in my community was single-handedly probably one of the worst things you could do. And it's like, because you, at the end of the day, it goes back to like that, like you only have your word, you know? And that's why people say like, my word is my bond. And you know, like that's where like that generation of like people grew up, like, you know, a handshake meant everything, not just something like it meant everything. And like, so in the world that like is starting to formulate today where it just seems like, like ethics and morality are just getting thin. It's, uh, and you just kind of see those snippets all the time. Like you said, like in your guys' election, we've seen it all through COVID. You know, we've seen the situation at this restaurant, like our federal government here, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like you're really starting to see how like ethics and morals are becoming ever so increasingly a thing of the past. And people don't trust each other and they're judging each other all the time. And criticizing each other. It was interesting. Um, Lama Lanam Rinpoche, who's a um, Tibetan yogi, was just visiting and he um, teaches a lot of classes and stuff when he comes to the area. And I was walking him to uh, one of the places he was going to be doing a meditation workshop. And he's been here, like, he comes once or twice a year. He's been here for like the last 10 years. And he, really liked the energy in our town before and then we were walking he was like what's going on here he's like everything's different i'm watching the way people are looking at each other and he asked if there was a big split in the political views in in the town and there is Mm -hmm. and he said i can see it i can feel it i was like does the vibe feel different to you than it has in the past he's like absolutely yeah, 
there's so much more negativity. Yeah, and it's just like I don't know, like. I guess it's because, like, what I would love to see is something that would shift that. And it, like, I know, and you know, we've had a pandemic. We've had we have a war, potentially, hopefully not escalating, but the threat of it. I mean, what is it going to take? Well, I think the problem with those things are though is because there's so much lying, there's so much dishonesty, there's so many backhanded deals that are notorious for those and come out all the time. You know, look at like right now, like what is going on with the, these, you know, bioweapons labs in the Ukraine and the ties, like what's the Hunter Biden story? You know, like why isn't Ghislaine Maxwell's client list out there? Um, what's the 2000 mules story? You know, like, I know. like all of these things, they're just there and then, Look at Fauci and his buddy getting $350 million worth of kickbacks from the NIH, you know, because of like their COVID pandemic responses and stuff like so many things, right? Like, and you can see like, not paying taxes, a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the thing that, that I was, I was actually thinking about this earlier today is like, we've become desensitized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean us, but as it, as a whole, I think people are becoming more and more and more desensitized. And the more people lie, and the more it's accepted, the more it's accepted. Mm-hmm. The more violence there is, the more it happens, the more it's accepted. It's like, I, I think that that's what's happening. It's almost like surreal for people, like re- the, the, the gravity of the reality of these things is not sinking in and it's just like the blinders are on mm-hmm. okay. for, and, for, i don't know well and like and like what you said and like like i feel one of the basis of that is because there's no penalty like no matter how extremely like obtuse your way of thinking may be in in regards to like the confines of like how society kind of needs to function and operate to be successful as a whole. Like it, like it's almost applauded and accelerated, you know, where, and like, there's no accountability like anymore. Like, you know, like it, it look at like how many major chains, never mind all the mom and pa shops in like San Francisco and California that have to have closed down because people are just walking into them and stealing everything. And people are just standing there watching because you can legally steal $900 worth of stuff. And like, they didn't even think that that was going to be taken advantage of when that rule was passed. You see people walking into like sunglass shops and just with a bag, just loading it in people going to get groceries and just walking right out the door because you don't, anything under $900 is a non prostitute California. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah, just like you should look at it, you know, like San Francisco people stealing, like you just do like a quick Google search and like, like literally because you, you legally don't have to pay is based on morals and ethics. So you already see like a lot of people would pay for their items, knowing that you could technically legally steal it without any prosecution, but people morally and ethically do it. But how long does that last for? Where if there was a hundred people who regularly walk into a store, 10 people, I'm going to steal it. Why would I pay for it? You know, I can steal with no prosecution. Okay, fine. So then how long does it take for it to be 11? 
And then how right. long does it take for there to be 15? How many right. fence sitters are there? Like to me, in my mind, life is always there's 10% of people on this side, 10% of people on this side, and 80% of people in the middle. And we've seen that with masks, right? You know, first 10% of people wore masks immediately. But 80%, you know, kind of generally within about three or four months, you know, always started wearing masks. And there's like the 10% holdouts. Now it's the opposite. There's still like 10% of people wearing them, you know, and you know, and there's a multiple situations you look at this. But like, how long does it take to sway that other 80% of people over to that side? Or what percentage of that 80% of people who are just going to go in there and start taking stuff because they're like, oh, you actually can do this. And I don't have to feel bad because I see other people doing it. It's not just me. Other right. people are doing it too, which is always the excuse people want to give is like, well, I'm not the only one. Right? Yeah, interesting. You should Google it. It's, it's some pretty wild videos to be able to see. Well, I didn't know about it. Yeah. Tell me something great and then we'll, we'll set it down from here. Um, what can we do to prepare for the summer solstice? thing that you've been procrastinating leaving out good i like that that always makes me feel better too okay well i'll share it on there thank you for that i know we kind of went down a couple of dark roads there today and i appreciate you walking them down there with me but it's uh i feel like i feel like more people need to have conversations around morals and ethics to build a challenge how far we've kind of steered away from their not conversations we should be away from. So thank you for having me on the conversation.